Hey, this is Phil Nobile Jr. from Fangoria Magazine. You're listening to Horror Movie Podcast, where we're dead serious about horror movies. Welcome to Horror Movie Podcast, where we're dead serious about horror movies. On Horror Movie Podcast, you get in-depth horror movie discussions and reviews for classic films and new releases. We are your horror hosts, Gilman Joel, Dr. Shock, and the Wolfman. As we mentioned in episode 200, we wanted to try changing some things up. Well, something different, but with echoes of the past. And we are starting with this episode. Now, while this may seem like your regular Frankensteinian episode, we are calling it, wait for it, Screaming Online. (laughs) Now, for those longtime listeners, I'm sure you're saying to yourself (laughs) that you recognize the Screaming Online moniker is one we've used for our Shutter-sponsored segments in the past. However, moving forward, it's what we're going to call those Frankensteinian episodes when we primarily cover streaming content. Yeah, so we have these really long episodes, and I don't know, I don't know if people saw this, but we make a couple of like top 10 horror podcasts every Halloween, which is always fun, but consistently... One of the gripes is that the show's too long. And consistently, when I post those links online, our listeners say, I don't think they're too long. They could be longer for all I care. But the truth is, is that it is difficult for newer listeners. And it's kind of difficult, more difficult to get episodes out, to be honest, because it requires so much editing time. And so one thing we've been kind of toying with is what if we did some of these segments as individual episodes so people are used to that screaming online segment. What if we did this kind of with our um, cursed films episode? What if we just did a screaming online episode and then we did a collector's crypt episode and then we did a themed episode. So it's just kind of breaking up segments that would be part of a larger episode and making them their own smaller episodes basically. Right. Yeah. And, and I, and I think that movie, well, when you said people gripe, what he really meant was me and Dave. That's, <laughs> that, that's really, let's just no, lay it I mean, out a there. A lot of the people who post the top 10 lists, you know, it will say positives, very knowledgeable about film. This is literally one that we got this year. I don't remember what the outlet was, but um, negatives way too long, you know? Mm -hmm. And so I know a lot of our listeners don't agree with that, but I'm sure there are some that do Joel being one of them. You were a listener for many years and you think the episodes are too long. Well, it was mainly because it would take me like a week and a half to get through them. And because I had stopped going to my regular day job where I could listen, you know, through commutes, I would get through a lot more content. So, uh, so obviously this was all about me and (laughs) my needs. But then when I got to a place where I wasn't, then I would only be able to listen at the gym. 
And then I made it really easy on myself by joining the show to where I don't want to listen to it at all. So that worked out great because <laughs> now I'm on it. So I don't need to listen to it because I was there. Um, but all, all of that aside, I think the real benefit of doing it this way is going to be that there is a higher, higher, higher probability of us getting more content out with more regularity. And I think at the end of the day, that's what everybody would like. Yeah. In, in the long run, this will lead to more content basically mm-hmm. is, is the short of it. And the other thing is, is that, you know, like when we say a short episode, I'm sure this episode will be two hours long still. Sure. <laughs> but this is just kind of getting us in the mode for what it could be like that, that previous streaming online shutter sponsored episode that we did for cursed films. That was an hour and a half still. And it wasn't, you know, it was still a great episode, I think. And I think that what I imagine this will be is pretty much the same as most of our Frankensteinian episodes. I did want to make sure this one wasn't sponsored since it was our first time out of the box. But, um, you know, we're going to talk about movies that are streaming on Shutter, but also Hulu and Netflix and Amazon and all over the place. And I just think this will be a fun introduction. And it's also very similar to something we do every fall. Always around this time of year, we talk about the most recent releases that we haven't got to yet this year so we're going to be talking about i don't know how many 15 20 films from 2020 that we 30. haven't yet viewed on the show <laughs> yeah who knows how something a like lot that. yeah a lot it's probably a little inside baseball to even be having this discussion but we want the longtime listeners to know there are going to be some changes but as joel said they're going to feel very familiar still it's not going to feel like a different show necessarily it's just going to be a little more streamlined Yeah. So uh, I guess without any further ado, let's go ahead and move into our discussion of 2020 screaming online movies. Yeah, we kind of do one of these shows every year. I feel like it is always this time of year because we do all of our Halloween coverage and it's usually not related to new releases but we're kind of like piling up all these new releases we've seen in our personal lives, you know, over the time when we're doing our, all of our Halloween coverage and maybe our, our summer coverage. And so, I mean, I've got films that I saw months ago that we've never talked about on the show, but I thought, yeah, this is always, I don't know. As listeners seem to like this one, we usually hit like between like 15 to 20 new release horror films at this time of the year. And there's oftentimes we come across some that are going to make our top 10 and stuff. So we're not going to talk about every single movie that came out in 2020. These are just uh, the ones we've seen. Well, and a few that we were hoping to see before we did this, but we're just going to mention them kind of high level. (laughs) just, Just to add that caveat. All right. Well then let's go ahead and jump right into it. And the first one up is Amulet. Yeah, it's from, uh, they're all from 2020. I guess I don't have to say that. (laughs) It's uh, Amulet, which is a uh, digital rental. And uh, Dr. Shock, I believe you've seen that one. I have. Amulet, uh, it's from writer-director Romola Garay. And it's a slow burn horror film that kind of challenges the perceptions of good and evil. And kind of blurs the line between the two. I mean, when we first meet uh, the, the main characters, the former soldier, Tomas, played by Alec uh, Sekirano. I'm, I might be butchering that name, but uh, it, uh, I think that's how it's pronounced. Sounds like it. Yeah, sure. <laughs> Why not? Uh, he's living on the streets of London. Uh, he's homeless. And uh, a kindly nun, played by uh, Imelda Staunton, takes pity on him and offers him a place to stay. The catch being that he has to uh, help out the house's owner, Magda, 
played by Carla Jury, who spends her days in isolation caring for her dying mother. Every now and again, Magda's mother goes into this fit of rage and actually beats on Magda. So Thomas tells Magda, you know, she shouldn't you know, put up with this. He's sort of uh, growing. There's an attachment between the two of them that that uh, that grows over time that she shouldn't put up with this abuse. But Thomas realizes that there's more to this uh, mother daughter relationship than uh, than he originally than he originally uh, thought there was. Um, I'll tell you what, the, the lead, uh, Sekronel, however you pronounce it, is quite good. He's really good as Tomas. He seems like a decent guy. There are flashbacks to his days in the military when he helped this fleeing refugee, played by Angelica uh, Papulia, uh, who was trying to reunite with her daughter. So, you know, you know, he, you see him, um, he's sort of at this remote outpost, and and she comes and he says, look, you, you can't be out here. They're going to they're going to they're going to shoot you. So he kind of helps her out. Um, he, he keeps her with him for a while and 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 hides her. Um, but there's a deliberate pacing of this movie and there's it's a slow burn. But there are these odd disturbing sequences that throw in. There's one I'm just going to say there's one involving a clogged toilet that you will not soon forget. Uh, it, I'm, I'm just going to leave it at that. Um it does reveal over time ever so patiently. I mean, this is, a, again, a very slow burn, a very patient film that you don't know what's truly in someone's heart. And it's damn near impossible to outrun your past. That's what the movie builds on. I definitely recommend this one. I, I think it was very well made. It's very well acted. And you're looking at Tomas and you're looking at the characters in one way. And then by the end of the movie, you're saying, hey, maybe I need to look at them in a different way. And that's kind of what this movie, that's kind of the the the, the path that this movie lays out. And I did really enjoy it. If I were to rate it, I'd say it's an 8.5 out of 10. And it's a definite watch. Hmm. Sounds interesting. Yeah. And when you say uh, toilet horror, I can relate having three young sons. Oh. <laughs> that's definite horror yes <laughs> all right so next up we have antebellum which uh, we have listed as purchase only i think it's also a rental but it's one of those 20 dollar rentals and uh, i can only speak for myself when i say i'm really looking forward to this because i know jordan peele produced it and the trailer looked very interesting to me but uh there's i don't know maybe it's just a cheapskate thing i am not down for paying 20 dollars to rent a movie so i'll wait i'll wait <laughs> till it's a little cheaper there, there are some films I would have, especially right at the start of the pandemic, but I've kind of gotten used to not being able to see movies at this point. Yeah. <laughs> like if they had had Candyman or Halloween Kills, I probably would have paid the 20 yes, bucks. Yes, I, I would have for yes. those as well. Um, but it works a film I don't know that much about it. And, you know, yeah. For, for me, I've heard really good things about this one. I've also heard really bad things about this one. But the one thing I've heard that's been consistent, even for people who dislike it, is that the Blu-ray's got awesome special features that's packed in the way that DVDs used to be packed with special features. So I probably will be picking this one up eventually. But for me, that's all the more reason to not pay $20 to watch it at home. Mm -hmm. so, so I'm going to watch it at home very soon on Blu-ray. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yes. I would pay 20 to see in the theater if I was really pumped, but... Um, not in this circumstance. And there were a couple like that, to be honest, where it's just like, yeah, I would have loved to see them for, you know, in the theater or, you know, but it's just, I don't know. It's hard to pony up the 20 bucks when you're no, um, you're just going to be watching at your house and then you can get a much cheaper watching at your house experience in a couple months. Right. And this is what I really wanted to say. Yeah. I mean, I think I probably will definitely see this before, 
I make my list at the end of the year, but the thing Me is, too. it's just like, if I can buy the Blu-ray for 15, why am I going to pay 20 to stream at once? You know? Yeah. Right. Exactly. And what I think it's interesting because I was saying this to Dave, that there is a, a, a inconsistency, for instance, with Bill and Ted three, you could have rented it for 1995 or purchased it for 2495. Now I understand the argument to be made that technically when you buy something through Amazon, that's you don't technically own it. And, and at any point, if it got pulled, you know, you're out of luck or if you, I think what is it your view and your prime membership there? I know there's various reasons why they can pull the stuff, but that being said, there's still something to be said for, okay, I paid 2495. I own this thing now. So I can watch it you know, multiple times if I want to versus I'm renting it, which is kind of a weird, faulty logic thing because we're willing to pay way more than 20 bucks to go see it in a theater, which is kind of like renting, except for the fact that at least you're getting the theater experience. Yeah. I, and that's the thing. Like to me, the theater experience is worth that extra money yeah. uh, to see it on big screen. And it's funny because I actually got into a fight with <laughs> a follower of mine on Twitter this last week where she was like, complaining because she was renting Coraline for three ninety nine, and she was saying that's such an extreme price for a rental and i was just like what are you talking about that's such a fair price for a rental you know when all these people are you know work on the films and blah 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 you know it's like not everyone who works on movies are millionaires like you know this is how movies continue to get made is that the investors and the artists get paid back i'm really anti-piracy basically is where i'm going with this and i was annoyed that she's complained about 399 rental but bump that up to 11.99 and i'm kind of with her like i'm not going to pay it that much to rent it one time you know so we all have to draw our line somewhere i guess yeah and i think the really uh big takeaway and big shock from that story josh is that you had a fight with somebody on twitter <laughs> <laughs> Actually, I've been very restrained. I, 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 every election year, I, you know, during the days of MySpace and Facebook, I would probably lose half my friends and start wars. And I decided my, this year I was going to limit myself to one Facebook fight. I said, if you get out of your system, you can do it once. And I did it with our friend Matroid. So it was, it was all in good fun. And, and it was uh, all done with love and respect. And then I that's I limited myself to that. But Twitter, yeah, the, the thing about Twitter that's so galling is at least with Facebook, it's usually someone you know. And so for me, it's easier to have like a reason discussion. But on Twitter, it's all bots, mm-hmm. and so, Russians. And so you get these people who are just there to only provoke you. Yeah, <laughs> they're good at it. <laughs> and speaking of Russians, Baba Yaga. <laughs> Terror of the Dark Forest is the next movie that we are going to discuss. And I believe Dr. Shock has seen it. Yes, I have. Baba Yaga, Terror of the Dark Forest, another 2020 film. Uh, The story that drives this one is similar to that of another 2020 release, The Wretched. Uh, The story is Igor, played by, um, you know what? I'm going to, uh, I, I thought, I thought Alec, uh, sir, you know, was tough. Where do I get to these Russian names? Oleg Chuganov. <laughs> And his family, yeah, I'm sure it's wrong. Uh, And his family, I'm not going to say the actors, but his father, his stepmother, and his baby sister, Varya, they've just moved to a new neighborhood. And um, to help his wife adapt to the unfamiliar surroundings, uh, you know, uh, uh, Igor's father has hired Tatiana, uh, a nanny, to, to watch over the baby, Varya. But there's something unusual about this nanny. And when Varya disappears without a trace, Igor is shocked to discover that his parents no longer remember his baby sister. So with the help of his new friends, uh, Dasha and Anton, 
He attempts to find Varya, who it turns out has been abducted by an ancient witch that goes by the name Baba Yaga. Um, this really does have some effective early scare scenes, the best of which involves a nanny cam. And I got to say, the young leads, um, uh, you know, uh, Igor, the actor playing Igor and his two friends, uh, do really a good job handling the bulk of the workload. I mean, they're in the majority of this film. That said, the movie does occasionally kind of veer off into like an It Chapter One vibe, especially when Igor and his pals kind of go into this alternate reality to battle Baba Yaga. And like a lot of low-budget films, the computer imagery is the weakest aspect. It's especially distracting in the final scenes when, you know, when things should just be ramping up. The, the CGI just kind of drags it down a little bit. But the strengths of this movie, I think, do outweigh its weaknesses. And more often than not, it, it delivers the good. So I'm giving this one a 7 out of 10, and I think it's a rental. Excellent. All right. The Babysitter 2 Killer Queen, which is on Netflix. Wolfman. Yeah. Um, so this is one that took me by surprise. You know, when I saw it popping up in my Netflix recommended, I just assumed it was the first film. And then one day I like just looked a little bit closer and I was like, Killer Queen? Wait, is there a sequel to The Babysitter? And that seems to be the general reaction to this movie. There's a sequel to The Babysitter? Like, why? Because <laughs> it's a fine film, like, but it's so disposable. Like, it's entertaining, but on the most base level. It's good for what it is, you know? The original, I should say. Um, but I don't, I didn't particularly like it. It felt very cheap. And it just, it's not the kind of movie you'd expect to see a sequel to, I guess, in this day and age. Probably in the 80s. Yeah, that would have made more sense. But as I look over our listeners' reviews for this on Letterboxd, they're all over the place, you know? And there are people like uh, Kane Hero, who is, what's his name? That's Jackson. That's, yeah. Uh, yeah, 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 Father yeah. and Son Watch Horror. Yeah. There are people like Jackson, who uh, gave it a four and, and loved it. Uh, sorry, so that would be an eight. There are people like Jackson who give it an eight out of ten and loved it. There are people like Ian West who are closer to myself, gave it a two out of ten. So um, I'm probably more in the middle of those two, I would say. But generally, it just I, you know, it was kind of one of those films that you just don't understand why it even exists. Here's my letterbox review. I don't often write written reviews for movies that I'm going to review on the podcast, but I did more of that this October for whatever reason. Um, I wrote a mess of a plot and a thousand too many pop cultural references undermine a fun cast and a script otherwise filled with surprising and fresh comedic dialogue. So, yeah, I mean, I think a lot of the dialogue in the film it wasn't like high quality, but it was surprising. Like, Oh, that is funny. Like if this was super bad or something, you'd be like, Oh, that is clever. I like the way that was written. But then there's just so many pop cultural references, which I loathe if the movie doesn't require it. Does that make sense? Like a film like yeah. scream is about movies. And so it makes sense that everything they say are movie references, but I hate it. It just feels cheap when it's, you know, just a random movie and they're talking yeah. about, Friday the thirteenth and whatever. I just I'm I'm there with I'm there with you. I, I think that if if it doesn't if it doesn't figure into the plot, then yes, it it, it gets distracting. I mean, there were a lot of uh, movies and when I was reviewing on the blog that that there's like okay, they're just trying to be kitschy. They're just trying to impress you with the movies they know. 
Uh, that's yeah. the feeling it's, it's I Kevin got. Kevin Williamson and, effect. And, yeah. And it started earlier with him. I mean, I think the faculty was well done because they're talking about science fiction. And I think Scream was well done, obviously. But even, and I know you did last summer, they're making references to like Scooby-Doo and Murder, She Wrote when that film is about urban legends. Like it should all be, all the references in that film should be back to urban legends, in my opinion. That's what I prefer anyway. And so it just feels cheap when it's not. And so that was what I really disliked about this movie. I would have said, like, if this is a first-time director, this is good. Like, you're handed a crappy movie like The Babysitter to make a sequel of. And I shouldn't say a crappy movie. I know a lot of people like it. But it's just, you know, it is what it is. It's kind of like a C-grade horror comedy that's fun and entertaining. And horror comedy fans can turn off their brains and enjoy it. And I'm kind of in that camp. Like, I'm almost in that camp. So this is a first-time director, and they're given that job, like, make a sequel to this movie. It's a pretty good job. Like, I, I understand, like, why someone would do what they would do, and they pulled it off. But then as the credits came up, and I saw the name Mick G as the director, I was like... <laughs> Whoa, 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 whoa. Like a major Hollywood director directed this piece of garbage. You mean the guy this, wait, wait, the guy who gave us Charlie's Angels and Terminator Salvation? What? I mean, that's on one <laughs> hand, you could say, okay, those aren't great movies. But on the other hand, you could say, this is a guy who's been handed the keys of the kingdom to sure. the Terminator franchise, yeah. to reboot Charlie's Angels, to the Lethal Weapon franchise. And this is what he came up with. Like, this feels like a first time director doing a horror comedy. Yeah. Like this is on the level of the final girls. If the final girls didn't have all the things that made it amazing. Like if it just had like the most baseline level of the final girls and it never achieved the greatness that it does. This yeah. is that without the greatness, you know what I mean? Okay. <laughs> so um, it's fine. It's a fun and I'm probably spending too much time on it. It's a fun disposable horror comedy. If you like fun, disposable horror comedies, you will, chuckle throughout this there's some good gore there are a couple little surprises the plot doesn't make any sense but if you don't care about that if you don't mind the plot sucking and undoing the original film and being totally distracting the cast is fantastic and like there are adults like hen marino in this who i think had just like a bit part in the first film and is really good here in this movie so there's a lot of things to appreciate about this if it's your kind of flick so the babysitter 2 killer queen I give that one a four out of 10. And again, if you're a horror comedy fan, it's for you. Definitely. Anyone else strong avoid. Well, a mm -hmm. movie that I do not want to avoid that I'm actually looking forward to. And, but the trailer was deeply disturbing to me is the next one we are talking about. That is bad hair, which is on Hulu. Okay. So there's a short film called hair wolf. I don't know if you guys saw that. It's fantastic. It uses, uh, it's made by a black female filmmaker and it uses, um, horror and, and particularly women's hair as a way to talk about um, cultural appropriation and gentrification. And I, so I had heard that they were making a feature version of that potentially. So I was just Googling around looking for it and I came upon bad hair and I was like, Oh, this is based on the description. This must be the feature length version of hair wolf. It wasn't. Um, this is from the director of dear white people on Netflix, but it is basically the same idea. Um, and in stylistically shot in kind of a similar way where it's just kind of hyper real. Um, it doesn't feel like you're in the real world. It takes place in kind of the nineties. I don't know if it ever explicitly says that, but it's clearly like the start of MTV era where this movie takes place. 
Um, so it was just a total happy accident that I stumbled upon this film. A lot of people are aware of it. A lot of our listeners have watched it as well. But um, man, I really enjoyed this. It's got a nice mix of commentary and comedy and creepiness. Um, I would say it's mostly kind of like a dark comedy social satire. If I was going to like really get into defining the genre, but it is definitely horror and there are some scary moments and it's very colorful. It's very energetic and it's a dark comedic satire with definite horror in it. So um, bad hair for me, I would give this one a eight out of 10. And I call it a high priority rental. It's on Hulu. And I would probably buy this one personally if it were available on Blu-ray. Okay. And Blood Vessel, which is a digital rental. Did I not ever talk about this on the show before? No, I don't remember it. Okay. Blood Vessel is a film I'm really excited about. Actually, it's low budget and you can kind of tell sometimes, but it's like surprisingly pulls it off in a very high quality when it does pull it off. In some ways it doesn't feel low budget at all. Cause it takes place on a ship and it's a real ship. Like you're really on a gigantic ship where they're filming. And so it has a lot of production value in that way. This came out the same week, I believe as the ghosts of war, which is another world war two set um, horror movie. So we got two of those this year. <clears throat> And I didn't get around to seeing that one yet, but I really enjoyed this one. So Blood Vessel is one of the most unique vampire films I've ever seen. It is still borrowing heavily from other horror films, but just not in this particular way. So basically what you have is a lifeboat at the end of World War II that has allied soldiers and civilians all together on this life raft. And they come across this Nazi vessel and they board it and it's empty. And they go, okay, wow, well, let's let's stay here. Let's try to get help to come pick us up. Let's search the ship to make sure we're alone. And story-wise, this is a mix between Dracula and The Thing. I did think at the beginning that this was going to be or like a remake of Hitchcock's lifeboat and the way that was going, I was like, this is cool. I'm down for yeah. it. But where, yeah. where it goes is even more exciting. It's a solid indie film. It's from Australia. It feels totally fresh, but there's still enough genre tropes where horror fans are going to kind of know where it's going all along. You're not going to be super surprised, but um, it's still awesome. Uh, the color and production design in this film is exciting because they're on a, the real ship. As I mentioned, they're wearing these Nazi uniforms. It's got the eighties John Carpenter lighting. And so it's just so graphic to look at the setting the production design, it just feels iconic. Um, a lot of the cast was good, but there were two in particular. And I don't know if these are well-known actors in Australia. They weren't well-known to me. And there were two that were just really bad. And then those two kind of made the dialogue stand out as not being great on top of that. But you do wonder sometimes how much of that is writing and how much of that is performance. Because the dialogue, while it felt really hit or miss, for the weaker performers, it actually felt fine the rest of the time when there were some of the better performers. My other thing I didn't love about this is that it really, without giving spoilers, let's just say it adheres to tropes having to do with black characters. This character felt a lot like Cuba Gooding Jr.'s character from Pearl Harbor. And like, I would be surprised if he wasn't based on that character actually. Um, but this movie is basically like if you took Dracula and they kind of usually skip over that passage to England in the movies 
what if you made a whole movie about that passage on the ship? And then what if uh, you mixed in kind of all of the elements of the thing where you have all this paranoia and people not trusting each other and they're all stuck here together on this boat. I would also say that the creature effects is one of the cooler elements of this as a very strong vampire design that also feels very different. It does feel like maybe uh, I don't know if you guys are familiar with Morbius, the Marvel character. Oh, yeah. It sure. has a bit of that kind of look to oh, it, but cool. for a film, it's just like something we've never seen before. I also like that this film is being an Australian film. It's not told from the perspective of Americans, which is really rare for a world war two movie. Mm-hmm. You know, it's kind of cool to see that like, you know, these other allied troops are, the, you know, the heroes of the story or like the main characters in the story. And it's just not a perspective that you see. So in a lot of ways, this was a very fresh experience. Um, I really enjoyed it. I would give this one a 7.5 out of 10. And I would say it is a high priority rental for those who don't mind low budget indie films and want to try something new. Well, you sold me because I absolutely love that idea and when you mentioned the dracula ship connection i was reminded that i remember hearing years ago that they were talking about doing a film about the demeter the ship that brings him in and it was going to be like that focused on it well i while you were talking looked it up the scary stories to tell in the dark uh filmmaker uh, andre orvidal is that you say his name i'm not sure Mm -hmm. apologize for that uh he is apparently attached now to do one it says 17 years in the making it is now landed at amblin it is called the last voyage of the demeter so uh that that'd be but i i I love that idea of a you know the ship at sea the vampire so i have no doubt that that was i'm sure an inspiration uh for it but it sounds like a really cool little film so i'm gonna check that out yeah it's fun all right and then we've got boo with an exclamation point that's on hulu Okay, Boo was another just kind of surprise because I had already seen Medea's Boo a couple of years ago when that came out, <laughs> whenever that one came out, um, which is the Tyler Perry film. And so anytime this popped up on Hulu, I just didn't look at it and scrolled right past it because I assumed it was that not great movie. But one time I decided to stop and actually read the description and I was like, wait a wait, what is this? And I realized it's a totally different film. So I was really <laughs> glad to find that out. Um, this was uh, a movie that, and there's another movie like this coming up that I'm going to talk about where for the first half of the movie, I thought I'm watching my favorite film of the year. While I was watching, I was like, this is going to be my number one movie. I'm super excited about this film. It's low budget, but I, I like their approach to it. Again, it's it's very indie feeling. It feels more drama than horror in a lot of ways, but it, it just feels really well directed and it's super immersive. It, and that's, I've found as I've been doing more written reviews, it's a word that I use a lot, which I hadn't realized before, but I realized it's something I really love is where the movie makes me feel like I'm in that time or place. And this one did. This one starts out like uh, the bye-bye man a bit where it has kind of this totally separate cold open that takes place in the past. um, And it sets up in a really exciting way, something uh, a question about the mythology of the film and similar to the bye-bye man it never quite reaches that level of um interest for me again for the rest of the movie but again for the literally the first half i was like man i just love this movie i love being in this world it has a slow burn feel it feels kind of like an indie film 
but I just, I've been really enjoying being in this and there wasn't a ton of horror, but the, it was a lot about the relationships of these characters and you could just feel the horror on the way. And then it hit and it just seemed kind of nonsensical. It seemed kind of like things we'd seen a lot of before and it, it just felt like it had been done in the past. And so the, the basic idea here is like a chain letter situation. And you see these at Halloween where someone leaves a little ghost on your front porch and says, if you fail to pass on these treats to X amount of other people, then horror will befall you. And it doesn't stick to that mythology very well you know i mean that is kind of a kitschy idea for a film and so in some ways you're like well this is probably better than that movie would have been but it doesn't seem like it plays by its own rules if that makes sense and that's a complaint for me in, in a lot of movies i like when the universes the films are in make sense and this one felt like it didn't adhere to the logic it had set up for itself but i did like it other than the ending and i will definitely watch this one again because i did enjoy the first half so much but <clears throat> this is certainly not going to be for everyone and i would give this one a six out of ten and call it a probably low priority rental Unless you're like me, you're big into like Sundance indie kind of films, and then you would probably enjoy this more than that, and it'd probably be just a regular rental. But it is on Hulu streaming. All right. And then one that none of us, I believe, have seen yet, but just in case, The Craft Legacy. Yeah, this is one I definitely was considering, and this was right on that borderline. Like I would have watched Candyman or Halloween, and this one, I. I wanted to see it a lot, but I think it was because it was during my Halloween binging and I was just watching so many movies. I just thought I, I'm not going to pay that much to watch a movie right now, but I'll, I'll probably see it sooner than later. All right. And now we've got The Dead Ones, which is a rental. Dr. Shock, I believe you've seen this one. Uh, this one was directed by Jeremy Katzen and written by Zach Chasler. And they really try something quite unique with this movie. And I, I wouldn't go so far as to say it's a rousing success, but there are times when it's pretty fascinating. Uh, it's about these four teenagers. They're uh, Mouse, played by Sarah Rose Harper. Scotty, played by Brandon Thane Wilson. Emily, by Katie, played by Katie Foster. And Louis, uh, Tori Garza. Uh, they're sent in, sentenced by their teacher, Miss Persephone. Uh, Claire Kramer played the teacher. Uh, to spend an entire night cleaning their high school. They've done something wrong, and now they have to, their punishment is they have to clean the entire high school. Uh, soon after they arrive, however, these several uh, mass gunmen turn up, uh, lock all the doors, and trap all of them inside the building. So they're searching for a way out, and these four friends come to realize that there's a little more going on here than, than originally meets the eye. Uh, now, the opening scenes of The Dead Ones are a bit jarring. You know, we're, we're kind of thrown into the story head first. We know nothing about the characters or why they're being punished. But Katzen does manage to drop a few hints as the movie unfolds. And the imagery is intriguing enough to keep us watching in the hope it'll all eventually make sense. And it does. However, there's a price to that. By the halfway point, I thought that uh, the director and the writer, I guess it'd be the writer actually, revealed one too many clues. Still, despite the obvious outcome, I thought this one had a few disturbing moments, especially what transpires when the gunmen get down to business. And it had a few decent performances, uh, especially Harper, who plays Mouse. Uh, she's kind of the shy, introverted character. But there's a scene where she tells a story about this pet of hers, this uh, this uh, former pet of hers. It's kind of heartbreaking. It, it it reminded me of the scene with Phoebe Cates in Gremlins. I'll be honest with you. It's mm -hmm. sort of that level. 
uh, even if it does fall short in the end, I give the dead ones really credit for trying to do something more than most other films do. I'd give it a 6.5 out of 10. I said, it's definitely one, uh, that's worth a rental. Okay. What about the dinner party, which is also a rental? All right. The dinner party. This one's a 2020 film. Now, a question for you. How do you take a nearly two-hour dialogue-heavy horror film and keep an audience's interest throughout? What you do is you assemble a strong cast, and that's exactly what director Miles Doliak has done with The Dinner Party. All right, the story is this guy, Jeff. He's a playwright, and his wife, Haley, they go to this uh, this sort of house out in the, um, I guess, this upper-class neighborhood. They're the guests of honor at a dinner party, throwed thrown by some influential socialites, including uh, Dr. Carmine, played by Bill Sage, uh, an opera aficionado, Sebastian, uh, best-selling author, Agatha, and an investment banker. His name is Vincent. Uh, Jeff hopes that uh, by the end of the night, the hosts uh, will have agreed to bankroll his newest play. But it's pretty soon that him and his wife discover that there's more on the menu at this party than just wine and caviar. Uh, this one is really smartly written. Uh, Doliak, who um, appears in the film, plays uh, the investment banker, Vincent. He was one of the co-writers of the film. Uh, but it's the performances that really blew me away in this movie. Um, along with those already mentioned, you know, of the, of the characters, uh, there's a character, Sadie, played by Lindsay Ann Williams, a spiritualist. And uh, Richie Montgomery has a brief but memorable part as a police deputy. He shows up towards the end of the film. Um, these actors, the performances, um, there's extended monologues about art, about classical music, about opera, and they deliver it in such a way that we're sort of hanging on their every word. Uh, the story itself is all also pretty good. Um, we realize before the main characters do that there's something strange about this dinner. And the movie does have um, some gory elements to it. I mean, it does get pretty bloody at times. Uh, but it's the cast that makes one this that makes this movie as memorable as it is. I'm giving it an eight out of ten. Very cool. All right. Okay. So next up, we have a movie that I'll be frank with you. I had no interest in whatsoever, and I heard not great things about. So I'm really interested to see what Wolfman your take is on Fantasy Island, which is available on Hulu. Well, I'm glad that I saw my favorite film of the year, Fantasy Island. I'm what? Just no, <laughs> unfortunately not. Um, I was excited to see it, though, because I used to watch this TV show when I was a kid. And so there was definitely a part of me that was like, I'm curious what they're going to do with this, you know? And, you know, and also I love tropical horror. That's one of my favorite, just as much as I love snowbound horror, probably number two would be on a tropical island. So I was excited about seeing this. I didn't have any notion that it would be a good film. I was not kidding myself about that, but I did want to check it out. And um, it was one that I actually tried to watch a couple times this summer with my kids, but then I'd like look it up on like the parental guide or common sense media or whatever. And just be like, uh, it might be too much for them. And then I'd talk myself into watching it with them. And then I'd watch the trailer and be like, okay, that was too intense. So anyway, I'm glad I didn't watch it with them. It is a little bit too intense for their age, but it's not particularly scary. What you have here, and in some ways this is similar to Boo, is that each person has a very personalized experience. Did you guys watch Fantasy Island, the TV show? A long time ago. Yeah, when I was a kid. 
Yeah, regularly, actually, every week. It was on right after The Love Boat. I'm surprised you weren't excited as I was to see Oh, that. to see this movie. No, but you know what? It's, it's because of the word of mouth. I'll be it's the same yep, thing with too. Joel. Yep. And, and, and that's why I'm anxious to hear what, uh, what your thoughts are. <clears throat> so basically what you have is an homage to the original film. You know, you've got the little moments, of the plane, it's the plane kind of thing happening and stuff. And they try to take all of the kish out of it and they make it really a very sleek, glossy Hollywood horror movie, which I typically do not enjoy. You know, like you don't like any of the characters, you know, everyone's a jerk or a jock or, you know what I mean? It's just not like interesting people, I guess, for the most part. Um, But they come to this beautiful island. It's filmed in Fiji, which I appreciate. And they are introduced to their host, who is played by Michael Pena, which I thought was great casting as Mr. Rourke. I thought that was really cool. And they are each, uh, they each already know when coming to the island, they're here to fulfill a fantasy. And they each had to kind of like take a survey that described different parts of their life. And they've had a special fantasy made just for them when they come to the island. And so that that's essentially what happens here. They're having, it feels like the game. If you remember that Michael Douglas movie a little bit, they're having something curated for their personal experience. Love that movie. That's kind of intense and scary. You know, you think, but as we learn not too far in, there's definitely a monkey's paw kind of element and everything you think is your fantasy might turn out to be your worst nightmare. And also maybe it's not just Michael Pena pulling the strings, but maybe there's something supernatural taking place here on this. island. So that's basically what you're getting. I would just say without getting too deep into spoilers, it's, it, it, you know, it really starts hitting its stride in the middle. And I thought, oh, this just got interesting. Maybe I'm actually going to like this movie. Like, this is actually kind of cool where this is going. And then it ends kind of as bad as the beginning was, essentially. <laughs> but um, this is directed by Jeff Wadlow, which if I had looked him up, I would probably also kind of know what to expect from him. I will give him credit. He's the producer of Bates Motel. I like that show. He also helped produce The Strain, which I I think is good. And he was the director of Kick-Ass 2, which I thought was entertaining and fine. Um, His other directorial films, though, really would have tipped me off because I did not like them. (laughs) Truth or Dare, um, he's the director of, and the head actress in Truth or Dare, who is good in that film, Lucy Hale, um, she's in this film as well, and she's good again in this film. But like that film, it left a lot to be desired. It just felt kind of cheap um, and not that well thought through and not that substantive. And um, his other film that I had seen is called Cry Wolf, which is another concept I really enjoy the idea of that I just felt like the execution was lacking. It is kind of a waste of time, but if you're looking for a time waster during the pandemic situation, uh, you know, it's it's not offensively bad. It's just not good. But I would give this one a four, and I would call it a very low priority rental. All right. Then what about oh. his house that's on Netflix? His house is kind of on the opposite end of that spectrum. This is, to me, one of the best movies I've seen this year. Um, I don't think that's universal. I think a lot of people have not been as high on it as I am. I've talked about this a lot. One thing I just really appreciate is seeing a perspective that we've never seen on film before. 
And this is that. This is about a refugee couple. Um, they're escaping war-torn South Sudan, and they try to start a new life in England. And this shows kind of the difficulties of that for them. That's a real-life horror kind of situation for a lot of it. But there's also, it's underscored by a very intense supernatural horror. And it's not... There are moments that are scary. I think visually, it's most it most reminds me of something like Sinister, which I don't find as scary as a lot of people do. I think I think this is similar in that way. I think Sinister to me is most scary when it's a guy in his house alone and it's dark. But then when I'm actually seeing the monster, I don't find that particularly scary. And I think this is similar to that in that way, although. There are some really scary moments that I think are really well done and that are super cool involving water. I just love the way they did that. And I should have mentioned this on Boo. Boo also had some really scary moments despite mostly not being a horror film. And that one had another visual that reminds me of a visual in his house that was like one of my favorite horror visuals of the year. That one dealing with a sheet ghost and then this one dealing with kind of zombie undead water things um, but yeah basically it's just about this couple and their difficulties of trying to adapt to life after as being refugees and kind of the different forms of dis- discrimination they face um, I think it's true like it, it shows not only are they kind of um, shown discrimination from some of their like white English neighbors but then they, they have these run-ins with uh, other Africans who are kind of like well you know we're here and that's fine but we don't want you guys here you're kind of you're too fresh off the boat and you're making us look bad. And, and so they're kind of treated poorly by that community as well, which is a very, I think just a really real thing. It's not cartoonish though. You know, there are people who would expect, Oh, this person's going to give them a hard time, but no, they've got a box of supplies. They're going to give them a toothbrush and some, and some food. And like, there are people who do care about them. And they just felt very realistic to what this <clears throat> type of experience would be like. And it's just something you don't see very often, especially in a horror film. But it is very drama heavy in that way. So I would say this is first a drama film and then second kind of a supernatural horror. And I think it's very successful on both ends of that spectrum. I'm going to give this one 10 out of 10 and call it a high priority rental. And I would buy it if it were available, but it is a Netflix original. You say 10 out of 10? Yeah. Wow. Okay. Yeah, and, I'm, wow. and that's not where everyone else is on this one. I and I know that um, uh, you know, like its rating on IMDb was like a six point four or something like that, and it surprises me. But I do think part of that is I think horror fans come with kind of a specific expectation, and this is really outside the box. And that's the reason I didn't think I was going to get to this one before the show today because it's very not like. Halloweeny. It doesn't feel like what you kind of want from a horror film this time of year. And so I avoided it just because I knew this isn't going to be like the type of movie I'm in the mood for right now. Um, but then I had some extra time. And so I got to it and I'm glad I did because right now this is either the one or two favorite movie I've seen this year. Um, it's not, there are other films I like more than it, but I do think it's the most high quality film i saw this year so far so looking at some of our listeners um i'm seeing a lot of eights i'm seeing some sevens but i am seeing like someone with a five as well so 
and someone with a six. So, you know, it's not universally loved by any stretch of the imagination. But I am seeing Amanda Williams, Wilhelm Scream, Jody Horgai, Dylan Brown, Nate, uh, all of those people. Is that Nate from um, Phantom Galaxy? No, this is Nate from Salt Lake. Anyway, all of those people gave it an 8 out of 10. So I, I have definitely the highest score of anybody that I know. But I don't know a ton of people who have seen it yet either. All right. Well, then let's do one that I will finally get to take part in. And that is Yay! Host, which is on Shutter, available on Shutter. So host to read the IMDB description is six friends hire a medium to hold a seance via zoom during lockdown, but they get far more than they bargained for as things quickly go wrong. It was directed by Rob Savage and it is a, I guess you'd call it found footage. I mean, it definitely is of that ilk. It's a a screen life also. Yeah, definitely screen life for sure. I believe we have we talked about it at all on the show. I feel like we did. I don't think so. Maybe we referenced it. But yeah, I feel like at some point Um, I'll let the cat out of the bag. I know it's barely an hour long and I watched it probably a week or two after everybody else was starting to talk it up. Uh, but I, I still didn't have like high expectations. One of the other, I was like, ah, yeah, this looks interesting. And my wife and I are sitting there wanting to watch something to watch. I absolutely loved this movie. Like it got to me. I don't know if it's cause we were like, I'm not sure exactly when it officially is considered to have aired on shutter, but I do know that it was pretty, you know, prime real estate in the whole lockdown pandemic situation. So I don't know if that's what it did, what it was, but in the same way that the original paranormal activity got under my skin, this one got to me like way more than I expected it to <laughs> I mean, like way more. And, and maybe it's because I've been doing more things on zoom. I don't know, but I absolutely <laughs> loved this movie. I will say not that my list what it will be by the end is uh any anything to write home about for this year but at the as it stands right now this is definitely in my top 10 like i i love this movie yeah i mean i think this did actually come up on episode 200 because we were talking about one of the listeners asked the question will pandemic horror be like a big thing in the future i think that's it came up under that context now that i'm thinking about it yeah it surprised me, you know, and, and in a good way. And I watched Unfriended after that because I was curious, like, wow, this worked so well. And people had said so many bad things about Unfriended. I'm going to give that a try. I actually like that one better than I would have thought. Not nearly as good as Host. But I don't know what to say about it other than it's very effective. And it's very simply done. And I think Paranormal Activity is a good comparison, not only for its simplicity and kind of handmade feel, because it's on Zoom, it kind of feels like a movie anybody could make in some ways, but it is also easy to underestimate mm-hmm. like paranormal activity. I think a lot of people think, well, it looks crappy. It's shot on a DV cam and it's not going to really scare me at all. But then it, it was a surprisingly effective film. And I think host is surprisingly effective. And I think if you watched this, alone in the dark on a laptop mm. <laughs> it would m- kill you <laughs> it would you would that would that would be <laughs> tremendous it would be something yeah i i will say too that and i probably it was probably just the inherent limitation of the fact that they shot this during the pandemic so they were forced to do it this way but i think because of that 
it didn't, it's, it's again, 57 minutes, 60 minutes, whatever it is, but because it doesn't have that additional 20 or so minutes on it, they never went into that sort of realm that I feel like a lot of movies like this can, where they start off so simple, so straightforward, and that's what makes them so effective. But then somewhere in there, they've got to take it to this like whole other level and it spoils the reality of it. You know what I mean? Where they, they'll, they'll yeah. overcomplicate things. So you're like, okay, now we're not in a zoom call anymore. We're like creating this weird mythology around says, and this never really did that. It just, it worked. It, it just, it was simple. Like to me that, pure horror movie thing where like chainsaw massacre and Halloween, where it's just that straightforward boom, nitty gritty gets you there done. And I yeah. it just so worked for me. I hear you. And I think, you know, for my tastes, it probably could have gone 10 to 20% further of being a little bit more uh, straightforward horror, because I think there are, and this movie has actually, moments where you're like oh okay this wasn't just filmed in a day because a lot of it you're like oh they just filmed this in an afternoon <laughs> but <laughs> then there are moments where you're like oh that took an effects crew yeah. and that took like coordination that and it's actually really impressive when you consider um you know what they pulled off during that pandemic but um yeah i mean i think i i wish it had gone a little bit further in places but in not doing that what it does is that it just makes it feel real. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. that's scary. <laughs> yes, it is. It is. And it really it just gave me the creeps. I mean, this movie legitimately yeah. gave me the creeps. So yeah, for me, I would give it a nine out of 10. I love this movie. I thought it was fantastic. Oh, wow. Awesome. Um, my initial impression, and like it's been since August since I've seen it, I would probably give it more like a 7.5, mm -hmm. but I, I would definitely consider rewatching it and I can see my rating for it go up. I do say, it's a high priority rental. If you haven't seen it, if you're open to found footage, screen life types of films, this is one of the better innovations on that genre. There's been, you know, like this is going to be in your top 10, in my opinion. Absolutely. And uh, don't forget, if you haven't seen it yet, get it on shutter and use promo code HMP. How you like that? Huh? Oh, you like that? I like huh? that a lot. <laughs> yeah. I will say this. Don't go in expecting too much. Joel probably had the right mindset going in because yeah. it is simple, like a paranormal activity. Yes. It's not going to wow you. Like, yeah. pretend you're going in for a Zoom call. Yep. <laughs> and it will legitimately give you a heart attack if you watch this alone <laughs> on a laptop in the dark. I actually think, I mean, I watched it on the TV, right? But it was in the dark and my wife and I were watching it together. I, I seriously, like anybody out there who really, I, I kind of feel like the fans and listeners of this show are probably at least familiar with it at this point. But if for some reason you're not and you're hearing this in the future and some time has passed, if you can watch it on a laptop like Josh recommends in the dark. <laughs> with I, earphones, with headphones. Oh like, gosh, yes. <laughs> like noise canceling <laughs> earphones, you'll, you'll that, die. That you will. I honestly, we are not, we, this is our disclaimer now. We are not responsible. <laughs> Yeah, we're not responsible for your death. No, not at all. Please contact Shutter. Yes. For, but, and, if, and if you do, use promo code HMP. HMP, exactly. Oh, that's fantastic. All right, so now the next one up. And this one, this one is the one I, in a weird way, am the most excited about to discuss because it's Wolfman and myself, who apparently have seen it. I don't believe Dave has seen it yet. And it is Hubie. I say it's right. That's how I pronounce it. Hubie Halloween. 
I guess so. When I first saw that Kevin James and Adam Sandler in the, were in this movie, I thought it must be a sequel of the one that they did where they were married. I now pronounce you Chuck and Larry. Yeah, so I thought this was <laughs> Hubby Halloween. When oh, I first- oh, Hubby Halloween. That's hilarious. Yeah, it's on Netflix, of course. And Dave, you did not see this, correct? No, no, I did not. Okay, so basically, uh, Hubie Halloween is the tale uh, that, in, in again, the IMDb synopsis here despite his devotion to his hometown of salem and its halloween celebration hubie dubois or dubois is a figure of mockery for kids and adults alike but this year something is going bump in the night and it's up to hubie to save halloween yeah and you know what adam sandler is a filmmaker i really loved for his first like two film well i loved billy madison Mm -hmm, me too I was fine with Happy Gilmore, and I and I didn't like the Waterboy, but I loved Wedding Singer. So in his like first four or five films, I would I would have called two of his films comedy classics, in my opinion. And I know a lot of people feel that way about Happy Gilmore as well. But I think Billy Madison and Wedding Singer are perfect movies. So I'm an Adam Sandler fan in that regard. I also in I was in high school for the right age where his comedy albums were coming out, and they were kind of like in that degenerate Beavis and Butthead mode where just like kids of that age <laughs> yes, just listen to exactly. it all the time. Yes. And so I am familiar with Adam Sandler. I like him. I just like him as a guy. His recent stand-up special I thought was awesome. Um, most of his movies are terrible. And he's made some of the worst movies that studios have made in the last 20 years. Like if you made a list of the worst studio films, it's going to have a lot of his movies on that list <laughs> in my opinion. Um, so I've been kind of encouraged actually the last couple he's made because he made that movie Murder Mystery that's on Netflix. I don't know if you saw that. No. But it's it's definitely in my wheelhouse. Like again, it's not good, but it's better than 80% of his films. And I I and it's in the world I like. It's a murder mystery on a yacht on the off the coast of France. Like you made that movie for me? Perfect. I'm I'll be there. It's not great, but it's it felt like a step in the right direction. So when I saw he was doing this Halloween based horror slash comedy Halloween movie, I was like, Oh, Adam Sandler's like starting to make a comeback in my personal life, you know? Um, and here's my review from letterbox. And this will require some knowledge of Billy Madison to get this joke. I said, um, one point for the constant immersive Halloween aesthetic for the rest I award you no points and may God have mercy on your soul. <laughs> <laughs> wow. So here's, this is going to be interesting because my setup is very similar to Josh's, right? I yeah. love early Sandler. I do. And I don't have the wonderful excuse of being, what you say? We were middle school or high school when his comedy albums came out. I believe I was in my early twenties or so thereabouts <laughs> when I got them. And I still love them along with jerky boys and, <laughs> and several other, That's other the right time period though. It was jerky boys, Beavis and yep. Butthead, Adam yep. Sandler. It really captures an era. <laughs> yes. Late, late high school, early college for me. So uh, I, I do not have the benefit of saying I was like 13 or 14 or 15 at the time. Uh, but that aside, love Happy Gilmore. Actually, I like Billy Madison, but I didn't like it, I think, as much as you. But I do appreciate it. I like it. Uh, Waterboy, I liked a lot, mainly because a lot of it was shot in and around like our area where we were living at the time in Orlando and stuff. So, uh, And Wedding Singer is probably my overall favorite 
of his. Wow, you can really map our individual tastes based on the first five Adam Sandler films, Joel. Yeah. <laughs> It's a good point. Because sometimes you and I, to me, we seem like we have the exact same taste. And then sometimes I feel like we couldn't be further apart. Yeah. Yeah. And just looking at those movies, you're like, okay, I get it now. I get it. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, Exactly. (laughs) So, but then here's where you and I are totally in sync. I think the vast majority of his later stuff is complete. I can't. I can't. I mean, I've watched a lot of them, unfortunately, uh, but. Right. But and they they did progressively get worse. Like I remember Big Daddy being okay, yeah. But like little Nicky, I had to turn it off. I oh, that was brutal. his movies are some of the few that I couldn't even finish. Like I didn't little Nicky I turned off. You don't mess with the Zohan, I turned off. I was like, I can't, I can't even do yeah. this. And I little Nicky and Zohan to me are the absolute rock bottom. But then in some ways, at least he was swinging for the fences on those because I think there was an era and like grown ups where it's like and maybe the Chuck and Larry one. Yeah. They're passable. They are passable. So they're, yeah. They're below him. And especially if you're going to bring like Chris Rock into the picture. Yes. Like you're going to have some of the best comedic minds of our time in one of the worst, like most generic dad comedies of all time. <laughs> yeah, like, exactly. Why? Yeah. It, and I think it's what it is. They're like, they're, they're functional. They're there. If you can stand that type of comedy, they're, oh, they're okay. But yeah. And then ones like Jack and Jill, I never bothered. I heard it was just abhorrent. So I didn't even bother with it. So Here's the thing. I came into this one. I saw the promo and I am a sucker. I think like you are. I, I believe Dave is to some degree, but I know you are, Josh. And I, I know my good buddy Doug is for sure. Anything that has that Halloween autumnal spirit vibe aesthetic. Yeah. I am all in. I'm all in. And the yep. trailer for this thing was dripping, oozing oozing and this is where you and i are going to differ it was so substantial for me and i like that element so much of this movie that immediately added like five points (laughs) (laughs) so i'm a beat and because i had so given up on his more comedy type movies like i was just pretty i'm like yeah i'm not gonna bother the fact that i didn't just i didn't groan throughout it and that i I mean i didn't really laugh either but it was kind of like groan throughout it no i kind of like it felt like a, a very Adam Sand. Like, uh, here's what I feel like. If you look at a bell curve, and on the left side we've got the the old school Billy Madison, Happy Gilmore, blah blah blah. And on the right side we've got the Jack and Jill and all that stuff. This is teetering somewhere top. It's starting to eke over into the the negative side, but it's not full down like at the bottom of the yeah. barrel for me. It just yeah, I would say this is just below. This is kind of how I feel about Nick Cage too, right? Like I prefer Unleashed Nick Cage that sometimes gets it right as opposed to Safe Nick Cage, which is just Drek. You yeah, know what I mean? Yes. Like, and so like in some ways, Grown Ups is just a safe middle of the road movie. It's not good or bad. It just exists. And to me, this is just below that. But what I like about it is at least took a risk, I guess. Yes. So, I, you know, I mean, so, uh, yeah, it's kind of it, it's kind of a toss up in that way. Yeah. And I liked uh, they had a lot of cameos. You got a lot of and I, I, speaking of uh, Happy Gilmore. Right. We get Julie Bowen back because what she was in the, she was a love yeah. interest in Happy Gilmore, if I remember correctly. Right. I think Con- so. There's, there are constant um, references to his old movies like yeah. all throughout. The and song. So I feel like if you're somebody who was a fan of that 90s era Adam Sandler that has the nostalgia vibe going for it. And again, this movie is a, I mean, it is like Halloween decoration porn. Like, 
it is. It, it is, really is. It really is. I mean, it's crazy. Like they went all. Like, I I would be shocked to find out Sandler isn't just like got like a Halloween decoration fetish, and this was his excuse to put in a movie because that's what this movie is. So for me, I'd give it actually probably more like a five point five or a six, not because really of the movie <laughs> so much as <laughs> as the nostalgia. And the decorations. So that should pretty much tell you everything you need to know. I think for me, um, the fact that I can't really watch it with my kids because of the mom's t-shirts is a, is a frustration. Oh, it it's was like, hilarious. They were so funny, though. Oh, my if God. You get, if you're going to make a movie this asinine. Yes. Just like <laughs> at least make it so I can watch it with my kids because that they would appreciate the humor and they would appreciate the Halloweenness of it all. Yes. That is really where this film succeeds is whoever the production designer is. And to some degree, the cinematographer, like huge thumbs up. You yeah. should work on every horror movie from here on out, because I don't think there's another movie that feels this much immersively Halloween that exists truly. Yeah. It's, like, a, it's, a, yeah, it's the up entire there. Halloween franchise. Yeah. It's up there, man. Trick or treat. Like this has more Halloween mood and they nail it like even trick-or-treat which i love there's still that element of like well this is a low budget movie they couldn't they couldn't get the right costumes or whatever it gives it its own quirky interesting creepy feel but this one really feels like what halloween feels like yeah yeah it really did it was it was like on steroids yeah because it's so intensely halloween yeah so i I feel like if you're somebody who really appreciates that it would always be the kind of movie that you would just have on in the background as like part of your decorations you know just turn the sound off just, just let it play. And this, that, yeah. that way you got that that imagery. I do agree with you about the kid thing. It's funny. I had told my wife, I was like, when we were starting, I was like, you know what? I mean, yeah, it's PG-13, but you know, some of Sandler's stuff is, yeah. And I was like, maybe, maybe the kids, you know, at least our younger one, we're thinking, okay, we'll see. And then as soon as all those sh- t-shirts started popping, which by the way, maybe the only part, because I am uh, secretly inside like a 12-year-old uh, uh, child. <laughs> uh, I did find some of them very funny, but she was like, as soon as they started popping, she's like, no, because I'm, no, we're not, I'm not. I was like, okay, fine. <laughs> <laughs> it's just more than you want to have to explain. It it's is. not that it's like terrible, know, but, but it's yeah. just like it's gonna be like. What I'm does trying that mean? to enjoy my evening here too. Yeah. I don't want to have to sit and have these conversations. What does that mean? What does that mean? <laughs> That's what you'd get a lot of for yeah. sure. So, I mean, I would say, I guess the question for me on rating is, how much do you award the production design of a film? <laughs> for me, apparently a five or a five point five. <laughs> The rest of it is fine. It really is inoffensive for the most part. If you're at, here's the best way I can describe it. Because where we're at in Sandler's career in terms of how bad some of his output has been, this very easily could have been Jay and Silent Bob reboot. And I think what it squeaked in under as Jay and Silent Bob strike back. Like this is for the fans. It's a, a level of budget and quality that's like better than the movie, really, and that kind of elevates the whole thing a little bit so that's what i'll say about it it's it's not great it's passable if you're a fan of everything in it you can enjoy it it's this is not going to convert anyone to being an adam sandler no that's true you're not going to watch this and be like oh this guy's interesting let's see what else he's made yeah you're not going to watch this and go what else oh cutting gems that seems like it'd be funny yeah (laughs) i will say if you liked murder mystery it's about on that level so you could you could give it bonus points for being Halloween set minus some points for being not quite as good as that movie, but it's, it's about that level. So that means you still give it a one. Jeez, dude. I don't know. I'll, I'll, I, <laughs> I feel like I, I'll be, um, I would feel like I've won something. If I can get you up from your original one, <laughs> 
I, I was, you know, I was in a certain mood when I saw it. Thinking back on it now, it's inoffensive, right? So mm-hmm. that's like, I, I don't want to be mean to something that's inoffensive. But on the other hand, you're like, you're one of the biggest stars in the world. You have a unlimited deal with Netflix. Can't you just put a little more effort into the script? Yeah. <laughs> so I, I'll give this one a 3.5. Okay. Okay. And call it a very low priority rental. I just improved your original rating by three and a half times. So I'm actually rather happy with that. So that's good. <laughs> All right. So then let's move on. Because I feel like that probably will end up being the longest review for this entire episode. All right. The Mortuary <laughs> Collection. Also yeah. on Shutter. Remember, use promo code HMP. Boy, I'm a shill. This is one I'm really excited about. Okay. Karen, to be... Yes, and I did see it. Uh, it was actually recommended to me uh, by my uh, friend Tyson. He's a horror author, and he's like, hey, man, you got to check this out because he knew I was a fan of horror anthologies, as I know both of you are, as many in the audience are. We're, we're all big fans of horror anthologies, and this is one. Now, it stars Clancy Brown as we'll just call him the mortician. He actually, his character actually has a real name, but we'll just call him the mortician for now. Uh, An eccentric mortician recounts several macabre and phantasmagorical tales that he's encountered in his distinguished career. Uh, It was written and directed by Ryan Spindell. And other than Clancy Brown, there's nobody in it that jumped out at me. And I will say... I want Clancy Brown to portray that character and do like a series, like a Tales from the Crypt with him (laughs) as that character, because I thought he was fantastic. The look, back to production design, the look and the feel of this thing is so timeless. It has this almost, the only way I could almost describe it is like mid-century modern in film form. So it's got like this sort of 50s, early 60s vibe to it, but it's Taking place now, I mean, definitely seems to be, but it creates this interesting, timeless aesthetic to the whole thing. And the the look, like the visuals, the cinematography, I thought was beautiful. Like, I just think the movie looks really good. Um, and the effects were, I mean, get, get some points in it that are gory, bloody. I'm 99% sure there's a few things that are, well, actually, yeah, several of them I know are CGI, but it works. And I think it had a lot to do with the lighting and the way it was shot that the, the CGI in this movie worked really, really well for me as well. Now, here's where I add the caveat. The stories themselves are fine. Like they're not, none of them are like, I didn't think any of them were necessarily bad. The, the one story at the end without giving anything away, cause I'm going to, I'm trying to be very careful here. Cause I, I feel like it's better if you go in as cold as possible. The final story has some homage, especially at the beginning of it. And believe me, when you see it, you'll know exactly what I'm talking about. Like you, there's no doubt. So, and that I actually really loved about it, but it was probably overall my least favorite story. Um, because of the way it ties into some things and ultimately each story didn't, it's not like these are the kind of stories that are going to stick with you. You know what I mean? I think, I mean, I'm reminded of like creep show or even like tales from the hood or tales from the dark side, the movie. I mean, all of those and, and, and many other ones. <laughs> and, and they give a creep show too. Like everyone always remembers, even though it, it has its issues and definite problems, 
that you remember the stories. I just don't know how memorable each of these tales in and of themselves will be. Um, but that said, the look of it, the acting is uh, is really good. I mean, and I don't know. I'm trying to see what the actual budget. Like, I feel like this was probably a lower budget movie, but it doesn't feel low budget to me. Like it felt really well made. So I really would love for both of you to see it because I want to know what you think because my gut tells me you'll appreciate it. Like I think you'll really like it. Um, the other thing I would say too is like the music and and there's something about it that has almost like a Tim Burton, Danny Elfman, like early, early versions of them vibe. Like it's got that sort of gothic sort of thing going. I believe it was actually shot in Oregon because I think at the end it said, you know, made in Oregon or, or you know, I had like this uh, and it had, there's something about that place that I think it also really captured uh, an interesting, interesting sort of tone to the whole movie. So mm-hmm. I, I really liked it. I actually really did like it quite a bit. Um, but I feel like probably in a weird way, the weakest part of it are, are the stories themselves. Like I, I don't, I don't know how to say this in a way like the stories aren't bad, but they're, they're fine. Like they're passable. Like they're okay. Uh, one of them in particular, you kind of see, I mean, it's not like it's, it's breaking any new ground. There, there's one that's sort of the, um, I guess they're all sort of had that tales from the crypt vibe where it's sort of bad people getting their comeuppance sort of vibe. <laughs> but one of them in particular has a, a a really messed up but fitting and and slightly hilarious sort of uh, a take on something. I will say that if you're looking for something that's actually scary, you're probably going to be disappointed because I'd say this is going more for dark humor. So it's definitely more in the creep show vein, but even creep show to me, like when I think of the crate, like, you know, it's it's played kind of humorously with the way Adrian Barbeau's character is and, and how how Holbrook is with with her. But at the end, I mean, it's got kind of this horrific thing that happens, and and and, and there's so there's things that can creep show uh, that have a sense of horror to them. I would say more so than this movie does. This movie's like dark, dark humor that. Is definitely horror, but it's more heavy on the dark humor. So I think if you're not somebody who likes that, like you want your horror anthology to be a little bit more straightforward horror, you might be disappointed. Um, and, and I know somebody's thinking out there, well, why didn't he bring up Trick or Treat? And in a weird way, I actually think there's probably has some similarities visually to maybe even Trick or Treat. I finally saw Trick or Treat. I was really late to the game on that one. Like as in for the first time I saw, I think it was this last year. <laughs> I'd never seen it before. Um, and I liked it, but I kind of, like I think it had been built up so much that it's like, mm. Mm, okay, sure. It's, it's fine. And in a sense, I feel like I would have been the same way with this movie had I gone in knowing things about it. So um, I don't know if I'm remotely selling this <laughs> because I'd actually give it like a 7.5. Like I, I think it's, you kind of pulled it and then like pulled it back yeah, a lot. <laughs> I, I, that's, that's a weird, but that's how I felt like after I watched it, like I was like, I liked it. Like I, but there's like that thing you can't quite put your finger on of like, and I don't know if I, I almost feel like I need somebody else to have seen it. And then we can like have that conversation. And that sometimes helps me open my brain up to go, Oh yeah, that's the issue. But like production value, uh, the quality of the filmmaking, the acting, all that is top notch. In my opinion, I think it's just that the stories themselves are fine. And maybe I guess I was wanting something with a little bit more like staying power, you know? So 
Um, I don't know. I literally this one. I don't think this movie is going to end up having like. Well, Trick or Treat has Sam, and that will always be this iconic thing. And Sam and that element of that movie is actually legit scary. Uh, whereas I feel like with this movie, it never really had that, if that makes sense. So, Alex, uh, like it's 7.5 for me. Definitely say watch it on Shutter. It's it's definitely worth your time. Um, but uh, yeah. So, yeah, you're right. I could kind of sell it and then pull it back. <laughs> but but I definitely think you should check it out. And I would really love to get your two, uh, your take on it. Well, you know, what I was thinking is we have done two jam-packed anthology episodes. Um, episode 99 of Horror Movie Podcast, actually, was um, horror anthologies from 1919 through 1999. Um, that was our old school anthologies episode. And then we did a new school anthologies episode from 2000 to present, which at that time, I believe, was 2016. So <clears throat> a lot more um, years in that first old school section. Sure. But I think, you know, if we go another year or so, I think the, enough films have come out since 2016 that we could probably be due for another anthologies episode okay. for part three to that series. And I know Joel would be up for that. Yeah, so for sure. Um, yeah. Maybe we can do anthologies part three coming up soon and, and cover that one. Yeah. Excellent. And one that I actually was very interested in when I saw the trailer on Hulu. So I'm really excited to hear what Dr. Shock has to say. And that is The Other Lamb. The Other Lamb. Um, <clears throat> this is a cult-themed horror drama uh, directed by Malgorzata Zumalska. Jesus, with these names tonight. <laughs> um, uh, this is the story of uh, Sila, played by uh, Rafi Cassidy, a teenage girl who spent her entire life following uh, the shepherd, a character played by Michael Hoisman. Uh, he's the only man in a commune of women and the self-appointed leader of his quote-unquote quote unquote, flock. Um, now, uh, Sila is fast approaching the age of adulthood, at which point she's going to become one of the shepherd's wives. Uh, but she finds her faith in the shepherd waning and feels more like a prisoner than one of his beloved followers as that big day approaches. Um, now, Cassidy, uh, the, the lead actress in this, uh, also appeared in uh, The Killing of a Sacred Deer from 2017 and 2018's Fox Lux. And she's great in it. She delivers a magnificent performance as this confused young girl sort of on the verge of becoming a woman. Uh, in addition, The Other Lamb is beautifully shot. Uh, cinematographer Michelle Englart uh, did a masterful job behind the camera. There's one scene in particular where Sila is resting on top of a hill, and the way he shoots it, he sort of pulls focus. Uh, it really took my breath away. It was just gorgeous. The problem I had with the movie is that it approaches this very dark subject matter, this male dominance and sexual abuse and spends most of its runtime sort of dancing around them. Again, it's a slow burn horror film, uh, but it never really tackles these issues head on. Now, one of the things with slow burn horror movies, and I'm thinking of, I had the same uh, sort of feel uh, with the other land that I do with Hagazusa from, uh, from a year or two ago, is that, okay, it's slow burn. It's sort of building to something and you're sort of waiting for it to build. And then when it finally gets there, it just doesn't have that punch, you know? It just never drives its point home as strongly as it should. It's still decent. I'm going to give it a 5.5 out of 10. And I think it's worth a watch 
and maybe some other people will react differently to it than I did. I just never felt as if the slow buildup built to, especially with the theme, what what this movie is dealing with, sexual abuse and and this this sort of um, uh, cult society. Uh, it just never got to the point where it was really delivering its message as strongly as I thought it should have. All right. Next up, we have, I believe, the sequel to uh, one of the greatest zombie action movies of the last 10 years, arguably. Uh, Peninsula is the sequel to Train to Busan. Yes, yeah, which maybe, maybe you should start announcing these ones as another one we haven't seen. Yeah. So that's yeah. why it's been elected. Yes, because yeah. I haven't, and I am really looking forward to this yeah. one because uh, I love Train to Busan was my number one movie that year. Yeah, it, it was yeah. one of my favorites as well. Yeah, so uh, the, uh, to, to bury the lead, we haven't seen this one yet. <laughs> yes, right. <laughs> this is on our to watch list. It is, yes. Um, so one that I did see is Random Acts of Violence. Uh, that's a 2020 Shutter film. It's directed by Jay Baruchel. And who I love, by the way, I love Jay Baruchel. He's just, he is the kind of everyman lead. He's nebbish and he's beta, but I, I love him as like a lead type of actor. I just think he's, and, and you usually see him as a very small supporting role, like in a John Apatow type film. But I remember my introduction to him was he had his own series. It was the series John Apatow did right after uh, Freaks and Geeks. And I can't even remember what it was called, but Jay Baruchel was the lead in it. And it was about him being a freshman in college. And and he was just so charming in that. And my kids also watch um, this Canadian show called Popular Science for Kids. It's produced by Popular Science, but it was shot, I believe, in Canada. So all of the actors in it, other than a young Ben Affleck, are like these young Canadian actors who would go on to, you know, be recognizable uh, Hollywood actors later in life, and Jay Baruchel is one of those too. So I, I've spent a lot of time watching Jay Baruchel as like a twelve-year-old. Um, but anyway, I think he's a great actor. He's gone on to direct some films. He's been fine, I think. And this was his first real stab at horror, as far, far as I'm aware. And I referenced this earlier in the show, but this was the movie that felt like I'm watching my favorite movie of the year for the first half of it, and. It especially surprised me because it is kind of a mean-spirited film and more so than a lot of the movies that I typically enjoy. Um, usually, like, a mean-spirited film just doesn't click with me. We've talked a lot about, you know, the extremism, um, French extremism and that, and that kind of thing. And so those are just films that, I don't know, they just don't always work for me. But there was something about this, the way this one was approached, that it was really, really working for me. And I was thinking... That um, and I wrote this in my in my letterbox review, but I don't think there's been a film since Scream that went this far to kind of examine horror conventions and kind of our culture uh, as fans and filmmakers and how and why we appreciate these films. So I really liked that aspect of it. Basically, what you have is Jesse Williams playing a character named Todd, and he's created this horror comic book character. And so he's on like a press tour with his um, financier played by Jerry Bruchelle, who's also kind of like helps produce the comic, his business partner, his girlfriend, Jordana Brewster, um, who is writing her own book based on the victims of the killer 
in her boyfriend's graphic novel, if that is clear as mud. And then also their young kind of intern is traveling with them as well. And they're traveling across Canada doing press, doing signings and radio. And as they do, they're traveling through the area where the original killer was based and deaths start happening again, but they look like they're inspired by the images he's drawn in his comic. That was probably the longest way I could have ever explained the plot of this movie, but I was really enjoying it. And I was looking at um, some of our listeners reviews and a lot of them just didn't vibe with the comic book thing. And normally I can get that. Like that's not something that I'd be super excited about, but I thought it was handled really well. Um, what I didn't like as much as the aesthetic <clears throat> when we're seeing the killer's lair, it felt very grimy, late 90s, early 2000s, saw just kind of, you know, seven. It felt kind of dated, I guess. And it didn't have the same colorful, um, energetic look that the rest of the film does. But I think the biggest flaw with this film is that the hero of the film, who is, and I say hero in quotes, and you'll find out why if you watch the movie, who is struggling with how to end his very successful series of comic books. Um, this movie, I think, really struggles with finding its ending and... I was so disappointed at the end. It, 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 it ended up being, and I wrote this also in my letterbox review, just kind of like a passable slasher, like urban legend or a black Christmas remake from 2006. Like it just felt like that nineties era passable horror when I think it could have been in the next level film. Like it could have been one of the great films to come out of this golden age of horror that we're in. And also I saw a few people say that it felt kind of formulaic. It does in a sense, but it is, following lesser tread slasher formula has that eyes of Laura Mars or um, more recently the other Canadian film, the girl in the photographs where, you know, the artist's creation is coming to life in reality in, in horrific ways. And then they are maybe seen as a suspect in the crimes. I like it. And we don't see it that often to be frank. So I thought that was exciting. I also think Jordana Brewster was fantastic and I have a huge crush on her going back to the faculty and I realized that she has continued to be an actress all of these years but I don't watch Fast and the Furious movies so I hadn't seen her since the faculty so I was really excited to see her back and she was great and I think her character unfortunately because again I think she could have been iconic is ultimately kind of underused and wasted at the end and um, not that it wasted is the wrong word because this is still a good movie and and like um, boo, this is one I will revisit because I really enjoyed the first two thirds of this so much that I was really let down by the final third. And um, I would give this one still a 7.5. And I, for me, this is a high priority rental. I loved it, but um, but it seriously fails at the at the end for my tastes. Okay, it just becomes passable. You know what I mean? And that, sometimes it's kind of like what I was saying about Hubie Halloween, although this is a very different category than that film. <clears throat> well, that was inoffensive. There's something about what it could have been that makes it offensive. And that's kind of how I felt about this. Although this is just a little bit less than great and that should be fine because I had such high hopes for it while watching it. I had no expectations going in. I had not heard anything about this movie. Um, I was just so loving what I was getting and then disappointed. All right. Well then let's find out. Were you disappointed with the rental? which is available on prime. Yes. <laughs> okay. I was, <laughs> that's another actor directed film. That one's Dave Franco's directorial debut. 
And the cinematography in that film is fantastic. The location, it's also shot in Oregon. It just is a gorgeous coastal, foggy, rocky pine trees. Just amazing setting for a horror film. The kind of thing I eat up with a spoon. I I just love that about it. Um, And it's all about relationships. It's co-written by Joe Swanberg. And I said this in my Letterboxd review. Again, I don't normally write written reviews, but because I guess I had some time in October or I was more motivated to. Oh, you know, it was actually because of our um, HMP bingo. That's why I was writing them all. Um, I was more motivated to write written reviews. And uh, as I wrote, Joe Swanberg co-wrote the script. So of course it's largely about infidelity. It's amazing that one guy can make so many movies about wanting to cheat on his wife (laughs) (laughs) Um, because every Joe Swanberg movie is about that. It's almost like how Woody Allen's were for (laughs) Um, this is most thematically similar to my favorite of Joe Swanberg's movies, digging for fire, which I love, but this trades in the subtlety for that film for some genre conventions, which add a lot of adrenaline to the viewing experience, but not any additional story or strength to the story, which is unfortunate, I think, um, because that is the weakness here is the story. Um, Great direction by Franco. I would trust him with any good script. If I was a studio, he's going to deliver, like he knows how to direct, he knows how to direct actors. He knows how to work with a cinematographer. He did a great, great job. Beautifully shot by the DP. He's a television um, DP. He shot like Atlanta and uh, Franco's wife in the Netflix show Glow, which I love. Um, it's got a cool, creepy score. As I mentioned, a fantastic location, just breathtaking. Excellent cast, but the writing is a weakness. And it's written by Franco and Swanberg, and I just the plot's not fulfilling. If there's supposed to be a message, I don't know what that is. It feels like it's a mashup of three horror subgenre standards, and I don't want to say what those are because I think that will give too much away about what the plot ultimately is. But it's kind of like they took three different kind of standard horror plots and just squished them together, and only does one of those well, I would say. I feel like the other two and are kind of weak. And even the one that they do well, I feel like the story elements were kind of weak. Um, and I felt the explanation at the end was unfulfilling in that it, it, I feel like it explained the wrong thing. And then as you start trying to backtrack and figure out, well, well then why did this happen? And what would this look like in the broader scheme of things? It just doesn't make sense in any kind of reality or even the reality they established. So that's a bummer. I will say I thought this was shot during COVID because it had that kind of feel. They came out when it came out and it, it's shot in a rental house with friends of the director and the director's wife. So I was like, Oh, if this was a COVID movie, this is probably the best COVID movie. They're brilliant. They nailed it. I love it. But then finding out, Oh no, this was like financed with a budget and a studio. And then you're like, Oh, well kind of disappointed that this is what they came up with. <laughs> but um, I, this is the end of my, Letterbox review, and I'll end it here. It said, if this film were a meal, there would be several delicious appetizers, but none of them quite complement the main course when it shows up an hour in. And it's a solid meal, just a little more standard than you'd expect from what you thought was going to be a fancy restaurant. And then, out of nowhere, dessert is dropped into the middle of your plate. You like dessert, but you weren't quite done with the main course, and they both kind of run together and make a mess that you're not really into anymore. So <laughs> that's my review of The Rental. Uh, I give it six stars and I'd say it's a rental. Okay. But the rental is a rental. (laughs) (laughs) So you don't say, so you're not saying to buy the rental. Don't buy the rental. Don't rent rent, to own. Rent the rental. (laughs) 
Yeah. <laughs> okay. Well, here's a question, Wolfman. Uh, with the next review, I'm hoping you can scare me. Because that's the movie, Scare Me. It's on Shutter. Okay. This will be maybe the most controversial of any of the films I review tonight. Because I absolutely love this. And most people, I think, are going to hate it. But it's just something different. And as you know, that's what I want out of a movie. I want to see something I haven't seen before. And so this is a unique take on the anthology film two horror writers they are alone in the woods each of their own cabin they meet and they say let's get together tonight and tell each other scary stories for fun so they go into the one guy's house they order pizza and they stay in all night and they tell each other scary stories and it's essentially and it's an anthology film wraparound but they don't ever cut away to the anthology segments <laughs> that's cool Huh. Instead, you see them telling the stories all the way through. Hmm. And so it's just a unique thing that I've never really seen before. And you get elements kind of come to life a little bit, but just for a second, not like fully come to life. It's just like the shadow of the guy's hand on the wall turns into like a werewolf hand, that kind of thing. Yeah. You know, like yeah. you just see like little moments where like someone's eyes glow bright and scary while they're talking like the characters are supposed to or whatever, you know? So but mostly it's just two people in a house talking. Eventually there's a third person in the house talking, but it's just people talking and they're doing an anthology wraparound that rather than cutting to the stories stays with the storyteller stays with the narrator, hmm. which I loved it. I mean, I loved it, but the, I, I absolutely understand why a lot of people would be disappointed in it. And again, they don't stick the landing. So that's a bummer because <clears throat> Again, and th it's funny that this happened in this movie and in Random Acts of Violence where the characters in the story are kind of dealing with their evening pe petering out, and then this kind of peters out at the same time. Hmm. Maybe it's just that the enthusiasm of the characters carries over to your viewing experience, but they're so into it at the beginning and so animated telling their stories, and then when their evening peters out, that kind of was what it feels like to you watching it too, you know, you feel that disappointment and kind of deflation, but ultimately I loved it. And not for everybody. You're taking a risk. If you watch this movie, if you're just a straight ahead horror fan and all you want is the blood and guts, you're not getting it. Like this is, this is something different, but if you like experimental film, if you want to take a chance on something a little odd, this is a cinematic oddity in that way. It's not that odd, but it's different. I give this one an eight out of 10. And I call it a high priority rental, stream it on shutter. I would buy this Blu-ray. Wow. All right, cool. All right, Dr. Shock, Skinwalker, which is available as a rental. If there's one movie that we're talking about tonight, if you can only see one film, don't watch Skinwalker. <laughs> there are a handful of actors who, when I see their names in the credits, they get I get kind of giddy because I, I can't wait to see their movie. And Udo Kier is one of them. He was in like Mark of the Devil, Shadow of the Vampire. Yeah. Fantastic. Uh, you know, even when the film isn't all that great, um, and I'm thinking a mother of tears here, I usually enjoy Kier's performance at least. And case in point is, is writer-director Christy Newman's Skinwalker. Now, Skinwalker is not a good movie. In fact, I don't even know if it's a movie at all. It's more of a collection of these random sequences just strung together in no real order. And even by that toned-down standard, it's an incoherent muddle. Regine is the lead uh, character played by Amber Anderson. She returns home to attend the funeral of her much despised grandmother. And after a brief but tense reunion with her father, played by Keir, 
She finds herself dealing with the trauma of her past, including the death of her half-brother, Isaac. But the deeper regime delves into her family's secrets, the more unstable she becomes. Now, this is told entirely from Regine's perspective, and minor spoiler, she's as nutty as a fruitcake. But it's a psychological horror film, and as I stated earlier, there's zero structure here. What starts out as sort of slightly confusing evolves into, you know, what the hell's going on here by the halfway point. And it's a shame, too, because the performances are decent and the production design, as well as the director's sort of stylistic approach to the material, is really amazing sometimes. I mean, the sets, uh, coupled with the sort of jarring camera movements, are what kept my interest. But in the end, it was just too strange, too out there to be worth the 87 minutes it demands. I give it a 4 out of 10. I'm not going to recommend it. I- I'm going to say it's it's an avoid. And it's like a three ninety nine rental anyway, right? So yeah. you're, you're taking a risk. Yeah, yeah, I, I, I wouldn't, uh, I wouldn't bother with Skinwalker. All right. Well, then, what about the Soul Collector, which is also a rental? All right. Now, this was originally titled Eight, like the number eight. Uh, this is a horror film steeped in folklore. It sort of takes a fresh approach to the subject of grief and how the loss of a loved one can drive a man to do the unthinkable. This goes back to 1977, um, and it's a South African film. Um, so it's, it's you know, during the time of apartheid, um, uh, her, uh, Mary, a young girl, her parents are dead. Now she's living with her uncle William and her aunt Sarah, uh, who recently moved into a farmhouse that William inherited from his father. Uh, now, while exploring the nearby woods, Mary meets Lazarus. Uh, Lazarus is played by Samano Sebe, and he's a wanderer who volunteers to help William work the farm. But Lazarus is hiding a secret, one that might ultimately put young Mary in, you know, in great danger. Uh, it was shot on location in South Africa and is inspired by a Zulu legend. It's really a harrowing tale of demons, death, and the eternal soul. And it kind of takes all of these elements together in a way that's really satisfying. Uh, Sebe plays Lazarus as both hero and villain. Uh, he's a generally decent guy who's made a pact with this entity that demands fresh souls. And it's this battle between good and evil inside of him that gives the movie its energy. I mean, if you're looking for a unique spin on horror, the soul collector is going to give it to you. I'd say this is an eight out of 10 and I say it's a definite rental. Wow. Very cool. Looking forward to that one. All right. So what about to your last death, which is available on prime? All right. To your last death. This is an animated action horror film from director Jason Axon. Now this is like a motion comic type of animation. All right. It's not the, the highest quality animation, but it's insanely brutal and it's a lot of fun. I really enjoyed this one. Um, Having survived the death trap set by her billionaire father, who's voiced by Ray Wise, which claimed the lives of her three siblings, Miriam DeKalb, voiced by Danny Lennon, is approached by a supernatural entity known as the Game Master. Uh, Marina Bakarin, I think, is the voice of the Game Master, who offers Miriam a chance to go back in time and alter the outcome of this tragedy. She's a little confused, a little frightened at first, but Miriam ultimately accepts just for for the chance to save her siblings. 
only to discover along the way that there's more at stake here than she could have imagined. This is not just simply the game master being nice and sending her back in time. There's more going on here, and there are rules that Miriam has to follow. One of them being that if they don't like what's going on, basically the game master is is doing this for this... Um, I want to say this group, another group of supernatural entities who are betting on the outcome. Like they've seen this play out. Now they're going to let Miriam go back into the arena and they're going to place bets on how is this going to turn out? What's going to happen here as, as she's doing it? I think this one, this person's going to die. This one's going to win uh, and so forth. Um, so it is, a, there's a lot of fantasy going on here. Um it, this is really kind of filled to its breaking point with sleazy characters. I mean, even Miriam's brothers and sister have their dark sides. And there's a lot of gore in it. There are axes and guns, but surprisingly, the film's most memorable mutilation comes courtesy of an electrical outlet, if you can imagine. But <laughs> this one, like I said, it also dabbles in fantasy. And it, it's one of the more unique animated films I've seen in some time. Add to the fact that it is narrated by William Shatner, and you have a movie that I think you're going to want to immediately move to the top of your queue. Now, Shatner doesn't do, he's not in it a lot, but he does throw in some Shatner-esque observations from time to time that, that I enjoyed. You know what? I'm going to give this one an 8 out of 10 as well. Wow. And I think um, it's one that it's definitely worth seeing. Cool. Yeah. I'm actually, I saw the trailer for this, and I was very mm. intrigued. So I'm very oh, glad yeah. you re reviewed this one. That's very cool. Cool. All awesome. right, so another one I'm looking forward to because I'm a huge fan of the original, Tremors Shrieker Island, which is on Netflix. Wolfman, tell me I have to watch this. Um, I'm not going to not tell you that. Okay. <laughs> this is, I think, the best sequel to the Tremors movies. Wow, okay. Um, no, I'll say that, say, I don't like any of the other sequels to the Tremors movies, so it's not like it's a high bar for me. I love loved i don't think there's a better big monster movie for me for my tastes than the original tremors movie yeah. it's just exactly what i like having said that yeah i didn't like any of the evolutions of those monsters i didn't like all the little jumpy flying things uh, it's just not what i'm into tremors for i want the big underground monster that's what i'm that's what i'm excited about so I've just never enjoyed that evolution and the stories. Um, they've obviously gotten worse and worse over time with CGI and budgets being lower. And they have this amazing opportunity to have Kevin Bacon back. He was excited about it. Then they totally blew it. I don't know why they couldn't get the funding together for a Kevin Bacon movie. They couldn't, but for some reason they can get together movies for, for Jamie Kennedy. I don't know what's going on, but um, just never been a huge fan of this series as much as I love the movie, but I have a soft spot in my heart for it because I'm always hoping this one started out amazingly and having not really followed the, the series. I mean, I don't think I've seen the sequel since they came out. Um, you know, I've, I watch them all when they come out and then not. So I didn't remember what a shrieker was. I didn't know for sure that there were going to be additional monsters beyond the graboids. There are, and that is when those showed up, I was like, eh, I'm not into this. Cause it was already again, not what I wanted to watch for the Halloween season, but I was surprised at how much I was enjoying. It. I was like, Oh, this is the best tremor sequel I've seen. This is exciting. And then as soon as the other monster showed up, I was like, okay, I, I will revisit this after Halloween, which I did. So, um, 
what I will say is that uh, it's got a really fun cast. John Heater is in this one instead of Jamie Kennedy. I don't mind Jamie Kennedy, but John Heater is far better in this movie than Jamie Kennedy was in those other films. Um, Richard Brake is in this movie, who I absolutely love. There is a really great performance by Cassie Clare, an actress who I hadn't been familiar with by name, but I'd seen her in something else. But she's fantastic in this. And of course you do get some Michael gross. If you ever wanted to see Michael gross and John heater with flamethrowers, you get to see that in this movie. (laughs) (laughs) So, um, yeah, it's on a tropical Island. That's my jam shot in Thailand. And so it's just gorgeous, like beautiful green mountains jutting out from everywhere and beautiful water. And there's some cool things with the tremors and water that are done here. All that stuff's fantastic. Don't love the shriekers uh, of the title. I wish they just stuck to the underground creatures. I think it would have made the movie 75% better for me, to be honest. It's also CGI, which I think sucks for a Tremors movie. But of all of the CGI Tremors I've seen, I think they handled this one best. I think this is the best CGI we've seen in a Tremors movie. So although I would still prefer the practicals, they pulled it off as well as they could have be expected on what I'm sure was a very tiny budget. This is a adventure comedy first with you know the obvious sci-fi horror elements of the tremors um but you know they're they're going for the comedy probably more than anything else and the action um but it's very enjoyable and i would give this one a probably six yeah 5.5 out of 10. (laughs) But I think if you like the Tremors sequels, you're going to like this one too. And I think if you detest the Tremors sequels, you, there's a chance you might enjoy this still. If you like the original. Okay. That's the, so um, I think this is absolutely one worth checking out and I would call this a low priority rental. I'm actually surprised. I had a feeling you were going to lambast this and you didn't. Okay, cool. I loved the loved the vibe of it, but I just okay. you know it was already tropical, and so as soon as I realized that this wasn't a movie about the graboids, I just thought, eh, put a pin yeah. in this and come back to it. Okay. And I'm glad I did. Yeah, well, I, I will say that this see Tremors is a movie where your whole discussion of how your taste and my taste align is right on because it's one of my favorites of all time as well. So I actually will. Uh, Give this a chance. Very cool. Next up, we've got Vampires versus the Bronx, which is available on Netflix. And I dig the title. So Wolfman, well, I dig the movie. Um, I think you could enjoy watching this with your kids for sure. And I think it's 99% okay for kids to watch. It's heavily borrowing from like every other horror film. I mean, there's just a boatload of Lost Boys and stuff in here. Um that they're just borrowing and not just lost boys, but a couple of other films as well. Um, It's very kid friendly. It's like Nickelodeon's lost boys, basically, you know, Mm. but it's, it's worthwhile. I watched it twice. (laughs) (laughs) The reason being is because I was screening it to see if I could show it to my kids and it, it was safe to show to them. But then there was also the part of me. It was like, I did not like this enough to watch it a second time, <laughs> but now I'm stuck watching it a second time. <laughs> so um, that was the downside of uh, screening it to show my kids, but it was fine. It was, it was, it was passable. The cast is fun. It's got a light 
comedic horror premise. Basically, three gutsy kids in the Bronx try to stop a vampire invasion. And somewhat like with the bad hair thing, it's touching on this idea of gentrification. And this is vampires as gentrification. But it's cool. I think they pulled it off. The thing I like about it is that it feels, and it's also I should mention the beginning of Boo felt like this as well in Detroit. But the way that I thought about this movie is it's just what we had been talking to Daryl about. You remember when Daryl was on the show and we were like, why don't they make movies about kids that live in the city? Why is it always out in the suburbs? You know, yeah. it'd be really fun to see all those things Daryl was describing about mm-hmm. playing hide and seek in a city alleyway and the subway and all that stuff. This movie has a bit of that. Okay, it's not, cool. it's, Again, it's very PG in terms of uh, the way it handles everything. So hardcore horror fans are not going to be like overly impressed with it, but it's a fun movie. And I think as I'm looking at our listeners, pretty much everybody, there are a couple outliers, but pretty much everybody gave it a positive review, you know, like six or above. And a few people really loved it. And it's cool. And it's cool to see these kids who are, it's a cast and a world that you don't always see depicted. And again, I don't think it's like the smartest, most edgy or interesting version of that, but you know, to have like a Puerto Rican and black lead and they're 12 years old, you just don't see that kind of stuff very often. So I give this one a five and I call it a low priority rental unless you have kids or enjoy kids movies, in which case it's definitely passable and like one that they're going to enjoy. My kids loved it. And they had seen Lost Boys and movies like that and, and Monster Squad. This is just a lighter version of those and less scary and a little bit safer, a little bit tamer. Yeah, I'll definitely watch this with my kids. That sounds like a, a one they will enjoy as well. So what about The Wolf of Snow Hollow? Okay, The Wolf of Snow Hollow is my biggest disappointment of the show so far uh, because it had just been getting rave reviews. Like people had just been going on and on about how great this movie was. And I let my expectations play into that a bit. I also let the ticket price play into that a bit because I, although I hadn't heard much about it, everything I heard was positive. And so when I went to go look for it, it was only available to purchase. It was $14.99. I thought, oh, I'm going to spend $14.99 on this. But one of my best friends had uh, a very close connection to this movie. It was shot in Utah. I knew several of the people on the cast and crew. I knew all the places it was shot. It was a snow-based horror movie, and it's a snow-based werewolf movie. So it was like right in my end of murder mystery. So it's like they made a movie for me. I might as well support it and pay the $14.99 to watch it. And I was just really disappointed. I felt like the first 40 minutes were a chore, like just really difficult for me to sit through. I thought the snowy landscapes were breathtaking. I loved that Utah's natural beauty gave it kind of this defined kind of sense of community that the, frankly, the writing didn't, you know, I think um, also this is Robert Forrester's last film. So that's an, a, a reason that you think, well, I got to see Robert Forrester's last film, but um, you know, it just wasn't working for me for the first 40 minutes. Thankfully it started to pick up in the second half. Once we finally see the werewolf, my interest level went way up. And I think every scene that the werewolf was in was fantastic. It was electric and they got better as they went. Every werewolf scene got better and better and better. The climax of the film was the high point, which is super refreshing for a low budget indie, but it's just unfortunate that there wasn't much more, werewolf related content leading up to that climax the reveal was good but as good as it was it didn't feel earned by the story up until that point you know it's trying to do the thing where you care about the characters but none of that 
matches, if that makes sense. Like it's not parallel. The the character stories don't play into the monster story, and that is uh, an important part of making those character driven horror films work, which are my favorite kind because I think you know as. James Wan says, when you care, you, you scare, but um, there, there's a missing element there of really connecting the horror to the character. And I didn't feel it. So um, I hate to keep harping on the price, but there's no way around it. Like shilling out 15 bucks to watch the world of Miller's hollow, essentially the game come to life as the world of snow hollow. It made enjoying an uphill battle for me. If it had been a two ninety nine, three ninety nine, even four ninety nine rental, I probably would have been like, yeah, that was fun. But I was like stressing my fourteen ninety nine purchase while I was watching this. So um, loved the climax. I would love to see a remake of this film with a bigger budget, a star or two, twice as many werewolves, and um, taking another stab at this with the script in this location with this idea. It's fun, but it fell short for me. So I give The Wolf of Snow Hollow a five, and I call it a rental um, or a low priority rental, maybe even under this price so as i look over our listeners most of them liked it better than me i'm definitely the outlier most of the listeners have it between a six and an eight take that for what it's worth again like if i could recommend this to you on netflix or prime or hulu i wouldn't think twice about it probably but considering that it's 15 dollars, i would just say low priority unless you really are dying to see this movie all right and for the next one which is you should have left uh, which is available as a, uh, I believe it's a rental. I should have checked that. I apologize. Is it, I know it's, yeah, it's rental on prime right now. You can rent it. Um, it is a David Coop. Is that your pronounce his name? Coop. The guy who wrote Jurassic park and wrote and directed the stir no, of echoes Cap. as a cap. Okay. I wasn't sure. Okay. Yeah. So David cap, uh, the, he was also the writer director of you should have left. And he's again working with Kevin Bacon, who is also in Stir of Echoes, which uh, I haven't seen in a long time, but I remember loving quite a bit. And it also stars Amanda Seyfried. She was in Mean Girls, I believe, right? And Lovelace. And she's in Big Love, which is what I like her from. Oh, is that what she's in? Okay. I've never seen it, but I've, I've heard good things. <laughs> so I am going to keep this one short for a couple reasons. One, it's one of those that if I pretty much tell you much about it, it's going to give certain things away. And I think that that's the best thing it has going for it is some of the twists and turns that it takes. Some of it is predictable. It is very low key. And in a lot of ways it plays more like a family drama uh, than anything else. And it, it definitely has a supernatural angle to it. But I think for somebody who wants a more, kind of balls to the wall horror movie. This is probably not going to be your cup of tea. Uh, it is definitely not that it has a couple of decent creepy moments in it, but it's definitely not a uh, kind of go, going all out horror film to say it that way. So the basic synopsis is a former banker. That's Kevin Bacon's character, his actress wife and their spirited daughter book a vacation at an isolated modern home in the Welsh countryside where nothing is quite as it seems. So it's a lot of it's geared around this house and it's an interesting premise and idea and, and where it goes. But I ultimately was left feeling kind of like, meh, you know, it's one of those, like it was 
meh. <laughs> it, 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 I guess because of the people involved, because of, of David Kep and the fact that, you know, he wrote Jurassic Park and he did Stir of Echoes, which I am a big fan of. And I'm a big fan of Kevin Bacon. I guess I was just expecting something a little bit more. Obviously, the acting is really good. It's a it's a really well shot movie. It looks really good. It has its moments. And I think it's passable and worth a rental. However, I will add the caveat. I wouldn't pay $5.99 for the rental if to do if I had to do it over again. But if it's on Hulu at some point, if it's on Netflix at some point, I definitely think if you're a fan of any of the people involved in it, if you like kind of a weird, and again, I, I, I'm even loath to say the genre, the subgenres it would fall into, because I just don't, I feel like that might be giving away things that I'm trying to be as spoiler-free as possible. And it's unfortunately one of those movies where it, it's all meant to be this kind of mystery that unfolds. So I would just say, if you like kind of low-key, kind of creepy movie that has, has sort of a weird vibe to it, you enjoy the people that are involved, and it's on Hulu or Netflix, so that you're not having to pay, you know, the six bucks to rent it. I would recommend you should have left for a a rental. Um, I would say for me, I'd give it like a six because, like I said, it wasn't it wasn't a bad movie. I just feel like I probably won't remember it that much three months from now. One of you guys will ask me, I'd be like, "Yeah, that's the one with Kevin Bacon, right? And the house and the thing. Oh yeah, kind of. You know, it's one of those kind of movies. So uh, that's you should have left. Uh, check it out if you feel so inclined." So the final movie, appropriately enough for this discussion, is Z. <laughs> that is a Shudder movie. Doc, what do you got? Yes. This is a creepy as hell film. Um, it's about this mother, Beth Parsons, uh, played by Keegan Connor Tracy. Uh, she's a little concerned about her eight-year-old son, Josh. Uh, Jet Klein plays Josh. Uh, he's developed this imaginary friend he calls Z. Uh, best husband, Kevin, Sean Rogerson, plays him. Tells her, you know, just take it easy, relax. It's not that big of a deal. And the child psychologist, Dr. Seeger, played by the great Stephen McCaddy, uh, believes Josh will eventually forget all about Z. But over time, Josh's behavior becomes a little more erratic, forcing Beth to take some drastic measures to try to convince her son that Z isn't real. But she'll soon discover that there's more to Josh's new pal than meets the eye. And one of the things I like about this movie is this sort of a twist that it throws in involving the mother. Uh, and I don't want to get too deep into it. Um, it. This was directed by Brandon Christensen, who also co-wrote the screenplay. And it, it relies more on atmosphere than it does special effects or jump scares. And I liked that about it. You know, this is not a movie that has a lot of the the sort of jump scares that you get in, in modern horror films. And even at 83 minutes, it takes its time to develop the characters and their story. Uh, sort of slowly cluing us in that, that all is not right in this world. There's one scene in particular when Josh has a play date at a friend's house. That is as intense as they come. I mean, that when that happened, I was just kind of like, whoa, this movie just got... It just went to 11 on the on the meter. Um, things do get a little crazy in the final act and jarringly so. But even these late scenes, as sort of crazy as they get, they have their moments. So if you're in the mood, again, this is just a, a, another unique horror film. And I really enjoyed it. Uh, I'm saying 8.5 out of 10 for Z. Wow. Very cool. 
Yeah, I was just looking over the information about it, and I think that's one my wife would enjoy as well. So I'm going to add that to the queue. Interesting to hear what you guys think of this one, so especially since you have young children now, because it's it's really about this 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 it's this young boy story, you know, about mm-hmm. this imaginary friend. But then it develops from there, and it it, it expands out, and and the mother gets involved. I just I'm I don't know. I really was impressed with it. All right. Well, then I guess that wraps up our in-depth discussion of uh, some of the horror flicks we have caught throughout the uh, year so far as this year starting to wrap up because you know we only have like a month and a half left or so uh, as as people are hearing this so uh, yeah it's getting there and uh, any final things you guys want to say before we put this one to bed you know I, I think that I I've been sort of compiling a top 10 list as we've been going and I have a lot more movies to see I, I there's a lot that I haven't seen that I want to squeeze in before I finalize any list. But as I'm looking over the list, you know what? I, I wouldn't be thrilled with my top 10 list as it stands right now, but I don't think it, I, I, I wouldn't feel terrible about it either. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, but again, I still have uh, the, the list of movies I have yet to see is, is longer than what I've seen. And if we go back to the first two years of the podcast, I think my we had a couple like really bright hot spots those years mm-hmm. each you know like mm-hmm. it follows and the Babadook or whatever but overall I think this year's list is going to be a stronger overall list than those years were so yep. I think we just got spoiled by like three or four like amazing years of horror that right I think so and I think this year could have been that if we had had all those theatrical releases that we've talked about, the Candyman and sure. Killed and Annabellum and Craft and like a lot of the movies we didn't talk about tonight because they were too expensive. <laughs> right. the movies I'm most excited about seeing. So <laughs> what about you, Joel? Yeah, I agree with you. I would say we traded in, you know, top 10 lists at, at the theaters, you know, for real life horror. So we, you know, had that going for us. Uh, yeah, but most of the movies... <laughs> I have no doubt would have ended up on my list are ones that I would have seen in the theater. Uh, that said, I, I've made it clear to both of you that I, I don't want to say that I loathe putting together top 10 lists. I just find it very difficult. I will do my best to put together what cobbled together list I can. I just, I'm finding myself and maybe it's just as I get older that as the years progress, you know, there's only so many hours in a day and there's a lot of older films I haven't seen. And so trying to work in as more of those in a sense, it's almost like I'd rather do a Gilman's top 10 horror movies. He saw for the first time this year list than a, my top 10 for the 2020 or 2028 or wherever we end up. Well, I I told this to the listeners as well. We've always said, just give us what you saw. If you only, saw three movies you loved don't feel obligated to put seven lackluster movies yeah. to follow your top 10 you yeah because if, if if hubie halloween ends up on my top 10 we got a problem i'm just saying <laughs> <laughs> yeah i mean there are movies a lot there are several movies tonight that, that a year doesn't get better could end up on my top 10 mm-hmm. like yeah a lot of the ones that i said were okay you know they would fill out a top 10 list but again they would be better than probably my 2014 or 2015 lists were yeah that's fair all right so does that wrap us up yeah, I think so. That's it for this episode. We'd like to invite you to get involved in the horror movie podcast community. You can leave a comment in the show notes for this episode at horrormoviepodcast.com, where you can also find this and all of our past episodes. You can also connect with us on Twitter at horrormoviecast. 
And please subscribe and leave a review for Horror Movie Podcast on Apple Podcasts. You can also listen to us on Stitcher and Spotify. And don't forget to get your listener-designed HMP t-shirts at horrormoviepodcast.com slash store. We'd like to thank composer Kagan Breitenbach for creating our Horror Movie Podcast theme song. You can find more of Kagan's work at kaganbreitenbach.com. Thanks for joining us for this episode. We hope you'll be back for our next episode of Horror Movie Podcast, where we're dead serious about horror movies. Yeah, like Dr. Shock or however you want to do it. But like, I want to just kind of do it more like uh, announcers reading us in at a pro wrestling event. (laughs) You got it. All right. Dave, Dr. Shock Becker. I mean, is any of this good or should I try it differently? Imagine you are, look over there, like up in the sky. It's a bird. It's a plane. It's Dave, Dr. Shock Becker. All right. Yeah. All right. (laughs) Jesus. Okay. Dave, Dr. Shock Becker. <laughs> like that. Maybe right. not quite as aggressive, but like the same. Okay. Gotcha. Same gotcha. Dave, Dr. Shock Becker. That was great, except Zencaster crapped out. Try one more time. Okay. Dave, Dr. Shock Becker. I mean, do you want me to do it again, or is that. Yeah, say that it like okay? a leprechaun this time. <laughs> oh, say it like a leprechaun. Yeah, Dave, sure. Dave, Dr. Shock Becker. <laughs> Possibly go over to Steve, Dr. Shockback. I want me gold. Yeah, right. Good stuff. You know, I've got to say something. I've made a strategic mistake here listing the movies in alphabetical order because, and I don't mean to be crass, we're all family here, but I really have to pee and I am required to review the next five films. So I'm just going to hold it in. No, no, no. <laughs> just, you were just keep that in mind, listeners. <laughs> okay. If, I, right. if I'm speaking more rapidly than normal, okay. that's why. <laughs> God, by the time we get to the fourth one, it's going to be, yeah, it's a really good movie. I want to go. <laughs> You know, you know, the last one, wait, wait, when you get to the last one, just go, boo, and then leave. Because <laughs> that's what it is. Right. All right. So, bad hair. What do you got, Wolfman? All right. And now we've got The Dead Ones, which is a rental. Dr. Shock, I believe you've seen this one. I'm going to run really quick, guys. Yep. Yeah, yeah, yep. go, no for, go for it. Go for yep. it. All right. The Dead Ones. Yes, Skinwalker. All right. Um, if there's one movie that we're talking about tonight, if you can only see one film, Hubie Halloween. <laughs> no. <laughs> but, um, <clears throat> which, at the, sorry, my grandma's talking. Can you guys hear that? Uh huh. Hey, grandma. Uh-huh. <laughs> Could you go, would you mind talking in the other room on the phone? Would you mind doing it on the, in the other room? Because I can't, I'm recording that show, remember? You can talk to her. It's fine. This, this review is going really well. <laughs> um, so, t- so this world, do you have any idea where I was at by any chance? You were asking your grandmother to go in the other room. Oh, okay. okay. <laughs> yeah, that too. <laughs>